0: When you think about Father's Day for a second, it's an interesting day, isn't it? It's one that actually, for some, brings great joy. And for others, it can be a day of reflection and even mourning. And the truth is that for some, it's easy to honor your dads. And for others, it's an active, ongoing work of God's grace to honor. One thing is certain, though. And the thing that is certain is the importance of a father's love. According to allforkids.org, they report that children who feel closeness to their father are 80% less likely to spend time in jail and 50% as likely to experience multiple depression symptoms. They also report that high levels of father involvement are correlated with higher levels of sociability confidence, and self-control in children. In fact, they go on, and most studies now suggest that a father's influence has far more important role, or a far more active role, I should say, in helping a child speak and speak early than a mother's voice. Recent studies have been unique around fathering. In fact, it's kind of interesting to see the change in culture that we had this kind of male centric culture that existed up through the 50s and through the 60s. And then in the 70s, we have this kind of female centric culture. And we've seen sitcoms today where before you saw this kind of specific lifestyle and leave it to beaver. And there was a, a dominance figure in the male. And today, you see often in sitcoms the, the foolishness of the male. We've even degraded the role of father. We've moved from a culture that once said that absentee fathers was a major problem, specifically in different ethnic cultures, to a place now where we confirm marriages that are not in alignment with Scripture and where no father is needed or even seen as valuable. The truth is, as we look at fatherhood, God has granted us earthly fathers, even in their imperfection. All of us are imperfect. But He's given us fathers for both our growth and for encouragement and for our love. Psychology today, their researchers found that fatherness leads to a children's diminished self-concept and compromised physical and emotional security. It has a rise in truancy and poor academic performance. 71% of all high school dropouts are fatherless. Delinquency and youth crime, including violent crime, rises with fatherless. In fact, 85% of youth in prison have no fathers. The truth is a father's love matters. And we know that. And a father's love propels his children forward with a sense of their own worth and belonging. And some of us have wonderful earthly fathers, while others of us may have struggled to experience the affirmation of our father's love. But the truth is this, that there is a father whose love for us is perfect, who displays his grace daily towards us, And has made us a part of his family for all who repent and believe. And that is the Father who we will speak of today. It's his love of who we speak of today. And so we need to celebrate, we need to honor the fathers that God has given us, even in their imperfection. But we need to honor the one true Father that we have the Father Creator, the Father God, the first person of the Trinity. And today, so we're going to look at the Father's unique love for us, a love that compels us forward in our faith, a love that compels us to submit ourselves to Him in faith. So let's go ahead and read 1 John together. We're going to be starting in chapter 2, verses 7 through 17. And so let's go ahead, let's stand as we read this scripture together this morning. And this is what it says. It says, Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you've heard. At the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you've overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know Him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the Word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not let the world or the things in the world. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and of pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the word that you've granted us that reveals the truth of who you are. God, we acknowledge that it is easy to make you into our own image, and your word prevents us from doing that. Lord God, may we understand the loving assurance that we have in you, that you are a father who loves perfectly and has assured us as a part of your family through faith in you. Father, this morning, may you take your word and implant it deeply on our heart. May we be compelled forward, understanding our worth, understanding our belonging, and understanding our purpose in you. Thank you for loving us. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. The heart of this passage is the idea that the Father's loving assurance in belonging to his family is an ongoing work of his grace towards us. The Father's loving assurance in belonging to his family is an ongoing work of his grace towards us. Loving family grace that through the Father and through the gift of the Son, we have been invited into relationship into God's family. We have a family. A family that God has granted us through Jesus. Now the very first word in verse 7 is beloved, which means dearly loved or dear to the heart. Now... We know this, that God is actually speaking in this passage to those who have repented and believed. He's speaking to His children. In verse 1, He begins, He says, "...My little children." The letter is being written to all those who are part of God's family, those who have repented and believed on Christ for salvation. So that's what He's doing here. He's writing a letter to those who have repented and believed on Christ. Now, I would encourage you this morning, if you've repented and believed on Christ, my hope is that you find a unique love that God has for you. That you're refreshed in that love. That you're strengthened in that love. That you see that being part of God's family is an extension of God's grace to you as His children. For those that are still either wondering or. Maybe pushing against the idea of submitting your life to Christ. I want to share with you that you have a God that loves you. That you have a God that desires relationship with you. And He desires you to be a part of His family. I want to encourage you to consider the love that He has for you this morning. First John 3, 1 John 3.1 says, See what kind of love the Father's given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. That through Jesus, He has made you a child of God. That's exciting. He's adopted you into His family. The God of creation has invited you into His family. And He calls you His children if you repent and believe on Christ. 1 John 3, 1 continues, The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. In order to know God, we have to know who Jesus is. That Jesus went to the cross on our behalf. He loved us sacrificially, taking the just penalty for our sin and overcoming the power of sin through the resurrection, granting us new life in Him. Now, the passage begins, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Excuse me, I'm reading from chapter 4. Sorry That did not sound right as I was going through it. They're both passages that begin with beloved. Beloved, I'm writing to you no new commandment. There we go. But an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you've heard. At the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Now, what he's saying is this, John begins writing to us and he says, listen, I write to you, not a new commandment, but kind of a new commandment. What he's saying here is he's saying, I want you to follow this, I want you to live by this, but it's an old commandment that you actually heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you've heard. Now, what is this word? It's the idea that all of our relationship with Christ can be summed up in loving with one another. That our love for one another is the commandment that God has given us. That our love for Christ is actually manifest in our love for one another. That because Christ fills us, it moves us to to walk with others in love. Now this word new in Greek is nuanced. There's, there's two words that are often used for new in Greek. The first is naos, and naos is what you think of as new. It's something that is created from nothing. It wasn't there before. The, the other word in Greek is the word kainos, And kinos actually just simply means better. And that's the word he uses here. What he's saying here, in essence, is I'm writing you no better, no new commandment, but an old commandment that you've had from the beginning. At the same time, it's a new commandment, a better commandment. So he switches. This word kinos means that he's telling us that this is a better commandment. It's not that he's changed. His call is still for us to love one another. But now what he's saying is, I give you a better commandment. And he tells us why. He says the reason that it's better is because in verse 8, at the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. What's the difference? The difference is now this is no longer a command that's empowered by the flesh of effort and will, but it is a command that's being fulfilled because Christ is living in you. This is something that we can do. I've shared with you guys in my life, one of the greatest evidences that Christ was in my life was giving me a love for people. If you had known me at 17 or 18, you would never have seen a real love for people. I didn't like people. I had close friends that I liked, but people annoyed me. And people who made poor choices, they got their just deserve What do I care? But as God got a hold of my life and Christ began to work in my life, no longer was my life about justice and annoyance with people. But God began slowly moving in my life where I began to display mercy, I began to love people in their brokenness, I began to want to serve people. It wasn't a human effort but it was an effort being fulfilled by God. And so what he's saying here is this. He's saying that the commandment that he's given us is to love one another. And part of loving one another is loving Christ or loving God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. And what he's saying in essence is this. He's saying that no longer are you doing this in a strength of the flesh, but now you are doing it in a strength of the Spirit. And it is possible. Romans 5, 1-5 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We love because He first loved us. We love because when we put our faith in Christ, He grants us His Holy Spirit to indwell us, making it possible to love. But more than that, compelling us to love. Pushing us forward in love. And so, He says these words in verse 9 and 10. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Now this word brother is not neighbor. It's not speaking of those outside of the kingdom of God. It is speaking of those inside the kingdom of God. Ever hear people say, I like Christ, but I don't like the church? You can't do it. You can't do it. You can't love Christ and not love His church. Because when Christ indwells you, He gives you a love for His family. And the idea is is that we're all sinners in needs of God's grace, and through God's grace we become saints who sin. And it is the messiness within Christ church and within our lives that God exposes our hearts. He actually teaches us to love. It's easy to love likable people. It's not easy to love unlikable people. It's easy to love people who have the same beliefs and the same ideas that we have. It's harder when they rub us wrong. church should be made up of people with varying ideas and very various political views because the church then can show the world that it is possible to be unified and walk in love with one another even when we disagree on peripheral things and he says here how do you interact how do you interact with the body of christ God never designed us to live alone. And part of the reason he didn't design us to live alone is not just so that we might grow together and not be in isolation and be overcome by sin, but it actually was so that our hearts would be really revealed. Ever been with somebody? You were like, well, I can endure them for about 10 minutes. Right? Maybe you feel like you're that person. I don't know, right? Everybody's got somebody that they're like that with. The truth is, is God puts us in the family of God so that we become polished. So those areas of our life where we think that we're loving, we find out that we're really not. I remember a man years ago that I went to church with. He had a number of ailments. And he smelled... and he was just uncomfortable. He got in my space. And I remember just growing frustrated by it. And one of the days I remember him sharing, thinking he has no awareness of his condition. And then he stated that condition out loud. And my heart crumbled. Because he understood It wasn't because he was in some way capable of changing what was going on, but he was able to articulate what was going on and a sense of helplessness towards it. And my heart broke. It broke for him, and it broke me. It showed me my selfishness, my lack of sacrifice, my judgment, my condemning spirit, the lack of love in which I walked with him. We need the body of Christ. You see, the Father's loving assurance as part of His family comes when we're gathered together in His family and working and growing together in His family. And what John is trying to write to the the followers of Christ here is they want them to understand that God's love is one of assurance. You don't have to guess. He didn't leave you kind of going, well... I sure hope that when I get to stand before the Lord that He doesn't say, I don't know you. He's saying, I want you to know confidently that you are mine. And then the loving assurance of my family, it is going to propel you forward if you understand my love. Verse 9 and 10 actually shows us the father's loving assurance as part of his family produces confidence and clarity regarding our salvation it produces confidence and clarity regarding our salvation you see because God's love and because he desires us to know that we are his he makes it clear when we are his it produces confidence if we see ourselves walking in love with one another, if we, we, we look and we can see God changing our heart, that breeds confidence that we are His. But if we're living for ourself only, and we, we live and walk in that selfishness and lack of sacrifice, and we have a condemning spirit, those things should not be breeding confidence that we are part of Christ's kingdom. They should be moving us in a direction saying, hey, look, this needs to change. Secondly, it gives us clarity. It produces confidence and clarity. It helps us see the truth that when we walk in the truth of God, when we submit to Him, and we see God beginning to change our hearts, it actually helps us see that all of His truth is real. See, notice what it says. It tells us here in verse 10 and 11, this one thing. It says, There is no cause for stumbling, but whoever hates his brother and is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Know that if you find yourself apart from the love of God, you're walking in spiritual blindness. You're actually making a choice to be blind to His truth. The Father's loving assurance as part of His family should produce in us confidence and clarity in our salvation. The Father wants us to know that we are His. I remember years ago playing in a a baseball game, and the first time I'd ever hit a baseball out of the ballpark. And that game, my parents were gone of all places, and they were visiting the Holy Land. And I remember my grandfather was there, and I was very close with my grandfather. But there was just something different about looking over and hearing my my grandfather who sat on the stands and he, he clapped. But I remember going back and saying, I wish my dad could have seen this. And a few weeks later, God's blessing, I got another home run. And my dad was at the game. And for most of you who would look at me and say, uh, "Yeah, I would probably never be accused as being an emotional stalwart." right? My wife will tell you, Lisa will tell you that I'm not very excitable one direction or the other." In fact, that was what, what makes me awkward at times, because I, I don't show a lot of, "Hey, this is wonderful." I got it from someplace, and I got it from my dad. But on that hit, I rounded second base and I looked over the side, and my dad was on the top of the bleachers with his fists in the air, yelling, "Great job!" He wanted me to know my relationship with him and that he was proud. That's what Christ wants with us. You don't have to guess with God. God's laid it out so you know clearly you are His. And He's cheering you on in that direction when you are His. He's actually building up confidence in you that you are His. He's growing you in confidence. And that's what His loving assurance as part of His family should do. That when we are a part of the body of Christ, that we are a part of God's family. This is like a family meeting every week together. In fact, it's like family discipleship time. Where we're sitting together in the living room. And the truth is, is none of us have a living room big enough for all of us to sit in. But that's what it's like. And so his loving assurance should produce in you confidence and clarity. You see, the spiritual family relationship reveals the truth about our hearts. Whether Christ really resides in us. First John 4:21 says, "And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother." Second Peter 1, 5 through10 says, "For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love." For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So when we love one another, we are actually growing in confidence and clarity that Christ is our King. That God is our Father. But you will never experience the peace of Christ or the security of the Father when you go against Him. Because your posture is away, not near. It's not His posture. It's your posture. He goes on, For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. What an awesome thing. See, God then is actually maturing us in and through our love for others. Now, why does this matter? Think about our culture today. Cancel culture is everywhere. Christianity for years in our culture has been deemed as judgmental, lacking love. When we all along know that it is actually our culture that lacks love. And cancel culture is nothing more than this. Cancel culture is a real time example of hatred towards your brother. There's no mercy, there's no forgiveness, there's no humility to recognize their own sin or failures, and it's marked by final condemnation or judgment. Christ and His grace is the answer to the cruelty of cancel culture. He is. We need to practically understand that we have answers. This is a wonderful example for us to be able to look out and say, listen, yes, that person offended me. Yes, that person hurt me. And they hurt me within the body of Christ. But I seek to, to for, I seek restoration. I seek restura- uh, reconciliation, and I walk in forgiveness, in the loving forgiveness of God. It means that I walk in love, and love is not some passive, manby pamby, weak thing. Love means that I speak truth in love. Love means that I demonstrate mercy when I need to demonstrate mercy. Love means that I mourn with those who mourn. Love means that I walk as Christ walked with people. So, the second thing that the Father's loving assurance as a part of His family does is it encourages personal spiritual growth and maturity within the familial relationship of His church. It encourages personal spiritual growth and maturity within the familial relationship of His church. Notice how many times He says, I'm writing to you, little children. I'm writing to you, fathers. I'm writing to you, young men. I write to you, children. I write to you, fathers. I write to you, young men. This is a personal a personal invitation. And what it tells us is that when we understand God's loving assurance as a part of His family. That God is growing us and maturing us together as His family, and He meets us where we're at. Notice who He starts with. He uses the word little children. Or children, later on in verse 13. Now, this is slightly nuanced. The word here for little children is the word technia. Technia. And it focuses on a child who is dependent. A a child who is completely reliant upon their parent. The second word that's used here is paideia. And paideia refers to a child's immaturity and need for instruction. So what we see in the first part of this passage when he says... I am writing to you, is the issue of dependence. And then, what we see in the second part of these passages, when he says, I write to you, he's instructing. So, who are the children? Well, the children are the new or immature in faith. The new or the immature in faith. Who are the fathers? Well, the fathers are the spiritually mature in faith. The spiritually mature in faith. And who are the young men? The young men are the not yet fully mature in faith. But those who have experienced Christ's victory. Those who are walking step by step, experiencing Christ's victory and growing. You see, Christ meets us where we're at. He didn't say, come in mature. He didn't even say, come in victorious. He said, my invitation to you as a family, the loving assurance over you, begins with you as children. Immature in faith. And notice what he says to the child. He says, because your sins are forgiven for His name's sake. That's all we need to know. When our sins are forgiven as children... That is enough. That's where our dependence lies. He's affirmed. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. He says, And do you not glory in Him? Little children, when they begin to talk and go to school, how proud they are of their Father. Their Father is the greatest man that ever lived. There never was was the like of Him. You may talk to them of great statesmen or great warriors or great princes, but these are all nobodies. Their Father fills the whole horizon of their being. Well, so it certainly is with us and our Father God. We start with that. And for some of us, our earthly fathers may fail us and may have failed us. But we have a Father in heaven who understands. And that Father generates within us This desire to grow. When we are forgiven, what does He say? He says, what should you do? What should be your motivation forward? What should be the instruction? He says to those who are new in faith, know first of all that your sins have forgiven. Second of all, move forward being motivated by the fact that you now know the Father. That what should compel you forward is the fact that you now have relationship with the Father. And that should produce in you a desire to know Him and to walk in thanksgiving and gratitude with Him. What propels you forward when you are immature in the faith? It is the knowledge of your Father. So what does He say here to the fathers? The spiritually mature in faith. He repeats it twice. Fathers, because you know Him who is from the beginning. And then he says it again. Fathers, because you know Him who is from the beginning. What he's saying is this. There is an intimacy here. These are individuals who understand that God is all He claimed to be. And who are seeking to walk in that. That are experiencing God's victory. That are experiencing a love for one another. And he's saying, continue in it. That's both your dependence and your instruction to walk in the knowledge of who God is and the the relationship that you have with him in first Corinthians four fourteen through 17 Paul said this he says I do not write these things to you make to make you ashamed but to admonish you as my beloved children For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then to be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. The spiritually mature within the body of Christ are to be imitated. They're to be imitated. Which means that as we grow in Christ, we need to be living lives in relationship with one another, discipling others, encouraging others, building up others, being in community with one another. And we're to look at the spiritually mature and we're to imitate them. Ever seen people in your life who are walking with Jesus and their life is just an encouragement to you? We need to see people whose spiritual walk are an encouragement to us. We need those people in our life. It reminds us, first of all, that God is who He claimed to be. It reminds us of the assurance of His love that as we walk with Him, that He will continue to grow us. Now look at this third category. He says young men. Now understand that this little children and spiritual fathers and young men are not gender specific here. This is not talking about gender. This is talking about a spiritual process within the body of Christ. So if you are a woman, assume it's spiritual mother. If you are a woman, assume it's young women. You see, the young men are not yet fully mature in faith, but have experienced Christ's victory. And the instruction to them is simply this. First, their hope is the fact that they've experienced victory. Ever find yourself feeling defeated as you try to overcome sin? Ever overcome sin in a specific area of your life? Even if it were for a season? His point is, you have experienced victory. Continue to press forward. Don't lose hope. It wasn't a one shot deal. God's not done. It's like me dieting. I was dieting, 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 dieting. And then I felt like garbage in April and May. And I put back on this weight. And I turned to Elise this week and I was like, you know, it's so defeating. Like, I was down like 25 pounds and I've put on probably 15 to 20 of it, and now I gotta go back and do it again. It's like, so when do I wanna start? Let me figure out the day that I wanna eat on and start after that day, right? (laughs) No, what he's saying is the loving assurance of God says, start today. Don't lose hope. You've seen the victory of Christ, and it is sweet, so keep walking in it. That's what he's saying. And so what does he say? He says, be motivated here, and what's the instruction to those that have experienced victory? He's saying, because you are strong and the Word of God abides in you. It is in the Word of God. It means that we don't give up, that we continue to press into the Word. And we let the Word of God change us. And we let the Word of God speak to our hearts. And we let Christ's grace move over His Word. And cause us to walk in righteousness. So as we grow in Christ, our love then will grow for the Father, not for the things of the world. We'll begin to see more victory and greater victory. And so God meets us where we're at. And that encourages us in personal growth. So when we're in the body of Christ, this is something we experience. We should be experiencing encouragement to grow personally as spiritual saints. As spiritual followers of Jesus. Which builds our assurance and helps us know that God genuinely loves us. So finally, loving assurance as a part of God's family exposes the futility of loving the world over God. God's loving assurance, the Father's loving assurance as part of His family exposes the futility of loving the world over God. Verse 15 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. When we experience the assurance of Christ, when we experience the assurance of God's love for us, we don't want the world. This is why God could speak of the Israelites as being adulteresses. That they committed adultery against God. Because God had revealed His love towards the nation of Israel, and yet they continued to pursue the passions and the pleasures of the other nations. When we understand God's love for us, he will expose the futility of the world. That it is, as this passage says, passing away along with its desires. You will never be able to take the lusts of the flesh or the lusts of the eyes or the pride of life with you into the kingdom of God. Therefore, it should not be our pursuit because it is temporal. But what he has promised, he says here this, that whoever does the will of God abides forever. It is eternal. The life that we have with Christ is eternal. The family we have in Christ is eternal. And the things of this world are simply passing away. And so, my question to you is then, if God loves us, what in the world is getting in the way of our love for Him? When you love somebody, you desire their best. God desires our best, and He shows us what is best. And because of that assuring love, the futility of the world can be seen. That futility of the world doesn't even hold a candle to God himself. He is the light. And we either run towards darkness or we run towards light. and light in Christ is eternal. Romans 13:12 through 14 says the night is far gone the day is at hand so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime not in orgies and drunkenness not in sexual immorality and sensuality not in quarreling and jealousy but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. To gratify its desires. May the love of the Father. His assuring love. Within and as a part of His body. His family. Propel us forward. In the knowledge and truth. That His way. Is the best way. That His way. Is the way of love. And that His way is the only lasting and eternal way. May His love compel us and motivate us to be His children following Him in His glory. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the love that You have towards us as a perfect and holy Father. In spite, Father, of our own perfections, You have loved us and You have displayed Your grace towards us. And we are thankful, God. So today, Father, as we remember Father's Day, may we remember that we are a part of Your family and may we be compelled forward in our relationship with You Loving you and loving others as imitators of you. And we ask this in your name. Amen.